And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. And we have a unique episode. We're going to nerd out a little bit about coaching, which if you listen to this, you know I enjoy doing. If you've read the book I wrote, Behind the Bench, you know this is a a passionate area of mine. And I always like when I can get coaches on, and we can get into some nuts and bolts of, of coaching and into what drives them and motivates them. And one of the things I've always been fascinated about coaches is how much they help each other how much they are active in the offseason putting on conferences and seminars to share their secrets which I don't know a ton of professions that are doing it to the level they are and and so this episode we have three guests we're going to start with uh, Lindsay Arkin who's the president of the NHL Coaches Association and then we're going to go to Dan Muse and then Jeff Blashill um, to talk about uh, a lot of things in coaching, but primarily that thought about giving back. And Lindsay, I, let me start with you because, um, you know, as the president of the NHLCA, I, I don't even know if the general hockey fan kind of has a, a great familiarity with the mission of the, the program what, like or the association. Is there a quick way, quick and easy way to describe that? Yeah, definitely. And firstly, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to kind of share a bit about what we do. So really, the NHL Coaches Association is the professional organization that supports all NHL coaches. So head coaches, assistant, video, goalie coaches. So there's over 200 members. We were originally founded back in 2001 by, you know, some legendary coaches, Scotty Bowman, um, Roger Nielsen, Larry Robinson. And what we are here to do is really support those NHL coaches, both employed and unemployed, in a lot of non-hockey areas. So their pensions, their health benefits, cross-border immigration issues as they're fired and hired, um, their wills, their you know contract and salary support. Um, but beyond that, as you touched on with the giving back, one of our goals is to help support the development of that next generation of NHL coach. So right from the youth level, all the way up to the highest levels of hockey. And so that's where we leverage all of our NHL coaches to help support that. Yeah. It's cool because what other organization, like you have this pool of people that are at the peak of their profession and not only that are willing to help each other out. And so like, basically it's about organizing it. And you might be one of the only people I know that have been really productive <laughs> in 2020. Like you launched this entire program <laughs> in the time, like I know it was kind of in the works, the mentorship program, but the time, like, and I, this is going to sound terrible, but the timing couldn't have been better right now. All of a sudden you, you, you're trying to connect people through video, even before, um, you know, we all knew what zoom was and all of a sudden now you've got all these coaches freed up. What was that process like? And, and what's been the, some of the results? Yeah, um, so I'll give you a bit of backstory for those listening who maybe um, don't know much about what we've been up to over the past year. But as I said, 
we're here along with the support of all of our NHL coaches to support that next generation. And so we wanted to find a way to take all of the knowledge and the expertise and the decades of coaching that our NHL guys have and share it with the broader coaching community. And for the past few years, we've been doing it in person. You know, we hold an annual clinic at the NHL draft each year. We've been going over to Europe and hosting coaching symposiums that we'd run alongside the NHL Global Series games. But it wasn't a sustainable way, and we wanted to find a way that we could have a more consistent impact. So not just hold a one-off event and then be like, okay, see you next year. So <laughs> we knew we knew early on that we needed to find a virtual online format to do that. And so last off season in the summer of 2019, we you know we set up a Zoom account before people knew what Zoom was. <laughs> we we did a couple pilot sessions with uh, European coaches. They went really well. The feedback was great. So then we rolled out a pilot program for coaches here in North America uh, early on in the winter, specifically for coaches in the NCAA, USHL, ECHL, and AHL. And so I know Blashill's coming up later on in the episode, and he was one of the coaches who first helped out with that pilot program. And he led an online virtual session specifically for USHL coaches. And he, you know, he spent time coaching himself there in that development league and talked about his path to the NHL and the lessons learned and uh, advice that he would have given himself 10 years ago, that kind of stuff. So to get back to your original question, how have we sort of capitalized on this downtime that you know, COVID has unfortunately set us all at home and paused hockey, um, you know, the day the NHL season went on pause on March 12th, we decided to roll out the program immediately. So our NHL coaches and the hockey community at large was just sitting at home there you know, was no certainty about what was going to be happening. Um, everybody was transitioning into working from home and, and working on Zoom and getting comfortable with that virtual environment. So um, the day after the season went on pause, we took a week to reach out to all of our guys and see who wanted to get involved. And honestly, it was so overwhelming. We had you know two dozen of our NHL coaches immediately put their hand up and say they want to do a session. I think they were just bored and wanted to talk <laughs> hockey. Um, so... Sure. Yeah, and so on March 20th, over the next 10 weeks, with all of our initial guys, we ran almost 30 hour-long webinars that were free. Coaches from around the world could join in, take part. Um, and yeah, so we, we ran that program. And, you know, in, in having this time, not only are you able to do kind of the big conferences, there's opportunities for, you know, one-on-one, like, mentorship. And I, I've, I've admired you guys diving in this in 2020, uh, and kind of into diversity and inclusion. And because look, I mean, hockey, I think, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say is a little bit behind here. And, um, and so, you know, getting more women coaches connected to these NHL coaches and, and focusing on, you know, DNI initiatives, how has that gone? And, you know, how is that progress going? Yeah, so I mean, 2020 has certainly shone a light on diversity, and it's obvious that hockey still has some work to do to create a more inclusive environment at you know all levels of the sport. So what we've been focused on is ways that we can specifically diversify the coaching pool, and right. it, you know it's that whole mentality: if you see it, you can be it. So we currently have two programs that we're running. The first is focus on female coaches, and then the second focus on BIPOC coaches. Um, the female coaches program, it actually started being developed last fall, and then we announced it earlier this year on International Women's Day before hockey had been paused. And then, um, you know, shortly after that, we, we kicked up with our BIPOC coaches program that came together in late spring. And so sort of figuring out the best way to help support those coaches 
you know, what we hear day in and day out from our NHL, NHL coaches all the time is that they wouldn't be where they are without the support of their network and knowing someone that advocated for them to get into the position that we're in. So we knew that we needed to ensure that these same networking opportunities were available to the female coaches and the BIPOC coaches in the program that we were running. And we wanted to start with one-on-one connections with our NHL coaches. Why not build those bridges to the highest level? And so we have set up uh, monthly Zooms where we're bringing our NHL coaches in to talk in small groups with um, all these female coaches and our BIPOC coaches. And there's a lot of other support we're doing with them just in terms of you know giving them more coaching resources, um, tools to develop their skills, exposure, um, you know, to share their knowledge with the broader hockey community and other things like that. So, I, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, people in the coaching world listening to this that, you know, maybe aren't part of the program or, you know, or the association would love to get connected. Is how available to the general public is this stuff? Like, is this, is there a connection? People like, you know, I want to get into coaching or I'm coaching at the youth levels and I, I want to tap into some of this. Like, how, how expansive is that for you guys? Yeah, so it is the mentorship program is open to anyone, any coach who wants to participate from, you know, any level, youth level up to professional levels from wherever they are currently working. So we actually had, you know, coaches from Australia and Singapore and Hong Kong be hopping on our webinars. Yeah, it was pretty crazy to see the the countries um, that I hadn't expected ice hockey to even be played in. So um, the mentorship program is currently underway with round two. So we, we kicked it off again in mid-October and it's running for a six month period. It's free, so anybody can go to the website, sign up. Um, you'll get access to all of the recordings from the original program round one that we ran this past winter. And then we're, we're doing them live every single week. I think we're gonna take a quick pause over the holidays, um, but we'll be back in January. And you know we've got a ton of a ton of great NHL coaches, legendary Stanley Cup winners, like Sully just did one for us, um, Ken Hitchcock. Uh, we've got Peter Laviolette doing one in the new year. So tons of great knowledge. And again, whether you're coaching at the youth level or you know the professional level, like coaches just want to talk hockey. And yeah, as you yeah. said early on, you can totally nerd out <laughs> to the sessions. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so true. Um, and all right, so this I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop this one on you, and you might not be able to answer, but you have... You know, I've been at these conferences. I mean, you're coordinating them. You're sitting in the back. You've sat through a million of these things. Is is there a coach that you just find particularly engaging? Like you sit there and go, I, I always look forward to when, you know, Ralph Kruger or whoever is doing a thing. Okay, so we didn't pre-plan that, but Ralph Kruger was the one I was going to oh, bring yeah. up. So, so there you go. I didn't want, I'm not leading the witness here. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so he did a session back in March, and it was over an hour and a half long and it was like enrapturing you just were even though it was over the internet like you're just sitting there hanging on every word and he's so inspirational so yeah. that was one for sure he's so um, good Lindsay. like yeah. i remember when he was coaching that 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 team europe group in the in the world cup we would all like it was the only one if even if we weren't covering those games we would go to the ralph kruger press conference because you left and you felt like you got some words of wisdom or whatever. You know, you left like you felt you felt better than totally. when you started. Totally, yeah. So that's one that I highly recommend um, checking out. Um, there's, I mean, there's been so many good ones. So yeah. 
you know, whether guys are talking about like skills and systems implementation, like those are obviously really valuable to coaches, but the ones personally that I've found are, are, um, sort of more inspirational are like the coaching journeys or, you know, building team culture or communication, because those are topics that are changing. And we've seen a lot of change over the past five, 10, 15 years in terms of, you know, how you communicate with players, how you build team culture, how do you create that, um, environment that, you know, elicits performance, peak performance every day. So, um, but yeah, Ralph Kruger for sure is one of the ones up there for sure. And then Sully actually is getting to know him over the past four years that I've been involved in the association. He's really cerebral in how he he approaches coaching. Um, so his, he's done two sessions for us now and they've been really, really great. He, is he the, I don't don't want to say president. I know he's got some, you guys, you have a board, right? We do. We have an executive committee. Okay. So he he was previously the president of our executive committee for uh, a couple of years, but now Craig Berube is the, the president oh. of the executive committee. Yep. Nice. Awesome. Well, Lindsay, thanks for doing this. Thanks for getting us uh, familiar with what you guys are doing. And um, en- hopefully you can enjoy a little downtime here. I know it's been a busy year for you guys. It's been a busy year, but it's been fun. So uh, hopefully everybody can check out the sessions online because we're still rolling with them. So we're, we're keeping busy for sure. So thanks for having me on, Craig. Def- All right. So yeah, as a terrible host, what's the best way? NHLcoaches.com? Is that the best there way you go. to check them out? Okay. Yep, exactly. Register awesome. there. Cool. Thanks, Lindsay. Take care. Next up in our podcast episode, Nerding Out Over Coaching, is Dan Muse, who was just, I mean just, I don't know, months ago, how, whatever, what is time right now, um, was named the head coach of the U.S. National Team Development Program's under-18 team. Dan also previously was the assistant coach of the Nashville Predators. Um, and why I wanted to have Dan on here, he's a guy that I've seen him present, um, I think it was at the annual a coaching conference at the draft. I want to say in Dallas or maybe Vancouver, but just one of those guys you could tell lifelong learner, um, likes to share natural teacher. Anytime I listen to Dan, I've you know, seen either video or, or conferences he's done. It's really good. And so, um, I wanted to share some of that with you. So here he is, uh, Dan Muse of the U S national team development program. Hey Dan, thanks for doing this. And let's let me start here because I don't know how much people are able to track what's going on at the program right now. What where are you guys in your schedule and how has this year been going? What a odd year it's been. Oh, I think it's it's been an odd year for everybody. Um yeah. right now we're uh we're ten games in. We've played ten games in total. Um we played some North American League games, we played some USHL games, um, we played some NCAA Division Three games. Uh, so we've had a little bit of a mix. Uh, we had we had gone about nine weeks straight of training. I think we were close to 50 on-ice sessions uh, when we, we did have a little bit of a, a pause there. So we had a two-week two week break, which I feel like most teams have had now at this point. So at one point or another. Uh, right. And then we've been back right. now for a couple of weeks. Uh, so we're, you know, I, I'm... I'm happy with the fact that we've been able already at this point, been able to, to get as much in as we have. And, you know, and I'm thankful. I, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to, to be able to come in to, to work with these uh, young men every day uh, to help work with their development. And I think everybody here feels very fortunate. Those are the resources that are available to us, especially when you look around the hockey world and you see, um, you know, just how many how many players aren't getting this opportunity to play and getting this opportunity to develop, and you're seeing college programs that aren't able to play this year and junior leagues that are shut down. And um, 
you know, my message to the guys on a, on a pretty regular basis, really a daily basis, is, you know, we have to make sure we're taking full advantage of every day that we're in here and together and being thankful that we have this and not taking a second of it for granted, especially right. when you look at the, just everything that's going on in the hockey world, but, you know, then the bigger picture just in the world in general. Yeah, I, it's funny because I and I talked to my son about this, who's 15 and, you know, competitive baseball. And I'm like, he, it's so hard to think about. But if you are able to have that level of dedication, there's an opportunity to create a gap, right? Like, because this is such a hard year. So if you are able to kind of focus in that you have an opportunity. There, uh, there's opportunities, the word for me, like, like this year. And it's something we talk about with the guys here all the time. Like it, it, this year, we can't look at it as an obstacle we got to look at this year as an opportunity. And and I think to your point there, that, that opportunity to get ahead of others that maybe aren't in the same position. But I think it's also it's a great opportunity, especially for the, the age group that I'm working with, um, to learn some lessons that are going to carry over for when the world does come back to normal. Uh, you know, as a coach at every level I've ever been at, how often are we talking about focusing on the things that you control and, and making right, that right. a priority? And what better time to make that a part of you know you a part of your fabric a part of your DNA than right now when we have to live that in order to, to move forward every day in order to have get gain something from the day uh, we have to make sure we're focusing it on the on the things that we control and we're not worried about a game getting canceled we're not worried about you know just everything that's going on in the world it's just focusing on today we got to the rink we go in the weight room we're going to attack the weight room and then when we go down the ice we're going to attack this practice and when we play games we're going to make sure that we're again the absolute most out of it and going through a year like this I, I think this is really it's, it's a great opportunity for these guys to learn some of those lessons which um, we're talking of every level I've worked at. We've been talking, we talk about that. And, and it's an easy thing to say, but it's a hard thing to do. So if they can really, you know, learn those lessons, maybe a little bit the hard way this year, it, it's going to pay dividends for them in the future. And, um, you know, I think this year it's it's one that you have to have that approach with it. We're not going to look at this as it's this giant obstacle that's in front of us. It's it's a giant opportunity. Um, and, I, and I do think that both individually and, and groups, um, they're going to come out of this thing when the world comes back to normal. In either they're going to be stronger uh, and probably a lot stronger, or they're going to be they're going to be weaker. You know, it's going to be one of the two. I, I think that the, the right. way that people approach this, it's going to be, especially groups of people like this, like teams. Like you're either coming out of it stronger, or you're It's going to you're going to let it break you, and we're yeah. not going to do that here. So, as, as a new coach in the program, how like. I'm sure you're not implementing everything you wanted, or or I, I don't know how you do it in a season like this. What was your approach in in kind of putting your fingerprints on things, but also like making it manageable for kids that are dealing with a lot? I think a lot of the things stayed the same as I would have done in a normal year um, in terms of a focus in on the, a lot of habits, a lot of concepts, um, primarily like not. I'm not a uh, at this level um, systems first coach. It's it's habits, it's concepts, and, and making sure that that's a priority and really working on some of those things that I feel like they're going to need at the next level. Um, so that that part, uh, I, I think, in terms of the the teaching and the focus points, stay the same. I think the difference is, you know, I'm, I'm working with. Uh, well, one, we're working with people, but we're working, I'm working with young men during a pandemic, during, you know, probably the craziest times of a lot of our lives, but definitely them. And I have to put myself in their shoes a lot. I try to, at least, of, 
you know, they're, they're 17 years old and the world's a little bit of a crazy place. It's a little bit turned upside down and, and it's helping them through that and helping them learn how to, to work through that so that we can be making the most out of every day here. Uh, so that that's where I feel like maybe uh, the focus needs to turn at times. It's yeah. it's just helping them, you know, understand how we're going to get through this and get through it the right way. You know, and it's not making excuses. It's not saying that this sucks and, and why are we dealing with this in this year? It's not that at all. It, it's learning how to, you know, deal with the situation at hand. And it's uh, less, it might be less than ideal, but we want to make, make the absolute most out of it. Yeah. I, I do want to touch on one thing you said. When you talk about focusing on concepts, like what, can you give an example of that or what that looks like? Yeah, I, I think rather than, um, you know, coming into a team and saying that we're going to, you know, we're going to do this, let's say, you know, four check. Um, you know, we're going to draw up this four check and, you know, a little bit of that, which you need, and you need to have this structure in place. Uh, but I, for me, it's not going to be, especially at this age group, the first thing that we're working on. Let's, let's work on how we read off of each other. Like, like, let's put them in situations where it's not necessarily you, you know, have to do this as F1 and then the, the F2 does this and the F3 does this. It's right. how do we read off of each other as we pressure the puck? You know, how do we, how do we, how do we read off of the angle that the first four checker is taking so that we can see what ice is taken away and getting above? Um, and then even more to the, I guess, even probably before you get into any of that, it's, it's some of the habits that you have the need that you need to have to be successful within the game and really working on those so that they become instinctual habits so that when the game's being played it becomes a natural part of them uh you know the, the one for me one of the ones that always stands out the most that i think at every level is uh players need to work on it is just their angling and their stick detail their defensive stick mm-hmm. detail I, you know i coached college hockey for a long time and i could just about guarantee that most time, most freshmen coming in, we're going to spend a good chunk of that year working on angling, working on stick detail because it's something that's underdeveloped. And so, you know, working on that now because if you don't know how to angle and you don't know how to use your stick defensively, then any forecheck that you put in is not going to be any good. The foundation's not there. The building block pieces aren't there. And so we're going back to those habits and then we put into the concepts. And from there, you can start to put in the systems, and I think the game becomes much more fluid uh, and easy to play and, and, and play the right way. Um, you know, puck support, you know, like rather than, you know, you're talking about, well, you need to do this on breakouts, just the, the concept of creating a two-on-one all over the ice. Like we do a lot of that right. work of how do we create two-on-ones all over the ice. So that's going to be in all three zones. That's going to be something that's applied and putting them in situations where we're constantly working on that um, through whether it's, you know, puck possession games, small area games, uh, you know, drills that are somewhat chaotic, but, you know, where they don't know what the situation exactly is or, or what the numbers are going to be. And it's constantly changing. But now those concepts come into play. Right, right. Um, I, I, I love all this uh, nerding out on coaching stuff. But I'll ask one more question before we, I want to get into the mentor program. Um, I, I think one player on your team that maybe has uh, the highest spotlight right now is a guy like Luke Hughes. How, how, you know, what, what have been your initial impressions of him and, and you know, what, how has he looked so far? He's off, Luke's off to a great start, uh, great mm-hmm. start to the year. Really, really enjoy working with him. Um, it's nice to be on the other side of the uh, uh, things here with the Hughes family now. You know, <laughs> because coached against his brothers. You know, going back to when I coached in Chicago in the USHL, um, yeah. coaching his brother when he was at the program and, uh, yeah, I think he, he probably he had a lot. I remember him having a lot of points against our teams, especially <laughs> my, my first year in Chicago. Um, but 
you know, he's just it, obviously it's a great hockey family. You know, it, it's unreal to have you know three brothers that are as uh, uh, talented as they are. Uh, but he, he's been uh, he's been a real pleasure to work with. You know, just really extremely driven. Uh, you know, he comes to work every single day. He's prepared. Um, you can tell he's he's not. You know, he just wants to make sure that every day he's getting a little bit better, and he, and he pushes himself really hard that way. And yeah, he's he's there, there's similarities. Uh, you see the similarities in, in you know uh, in his brothers, but at the same time, he's, he's he's his own player. And you know, he's he's a big body. He's great on his edges, like. Um, you know, just great puck protection, great ability to get up in the play. Um, you know, he's got the reach, he can close, like there's just a lot there to work with. And, and it's fun. And he's a really fun player to work with because, you know, he wants to learn. He's just so eager to, to continue to take steps in his development and continue to get better in his overall game. And um, so it's, he's been great to work with. And like I said, it's nice to be on the, uh, be on the other side of things now with that family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, it's, it's such a great family. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about the NHL Coaches Association mentorship program. And and I wanted to, to do this. In, in Lindsay and I were talking about this concept um, because I'm fascinated by the idea of how much coaches are willing to help each other. And I don't know if every industry has this this existence. And this it isn't just this program. This is you know every off season. It seems like coaches are going to clinics, and there's and this goes back to you know, this goes back decades, Roger Nielsen's and Claire Drake's and and all these people that were so willing to share their knowledge. Why do you think that that exists? It's 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 really interesting to me. Well, I, I think the first reason is, and I'm obviously biased working in this game, but I mean, this is yeah. this is we got the, we got the greatest game in the world because of the people in it. Um, I really believe that. Like, I don't think that there's. I think it's one of the things that like why you know coaches and just anyone involved in the game loves it so much it's the game itself but i think it's also the people involved like i've said this to people before like there's not really bad people in our game like i think the game itself kind of you know it it weeds out the bad guys it weeds out people that have bad intentions that aren't good people and it's i think the, the culture that we have as a whole um is a part of it. I really believe that. I just think it's it's you have good people in our game and good, especially the ones that are able to stay in there for a long time. Um, and because I think it's you know you got really good, pretty humble, hardworking people throughout, um, whether it's players, coaches, management, just really everybody that's involved in the game. Um, you know they they want to be better and they also are good people and they want to be able to help. Um, you know it's. I know for sure, like, I wouldn't have had opportunities that I have been able to have if it wasn't for mentors that I've had in my career and the people that have helped me out along the way. And I think I think a lot of people that are, you know, in the game can say the same thing. And so because there's been so many good people that have helped out so many of the coaches or anybody in the game, uh, you know, throughout their careers and as they've come up, I think people naturally probably want to give back more and be able to share mm-hmm. that information in turn. And, and that's now become a part of just you know, I think, you know, what we have in terms of the game as a whole and, and the, the culture of the game. Um, but I've been, you know, fortunate, you know, throughout the career, my career to, to, you know, be a part of a lot of these different clinics and a lot of these different things. And I, I know when it kind of got to the point where it was my turn, where I had an opportunity to give back, it was, it was a no brainer. It was something, you know, really, you know, it, it feels like more of an honor than, than anything else. It doesn't feel like you're putting work together or something that you don't want to do. It's 
whether it's the, you know, getting to present at something like the NHLCA um, coaching clinic or doing the webinars or, you know, even last night, like, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a Zoom call with, with a youth hockey organization and I'm probably equally as excited to talk to them because it's like, you know, like this is awesome to be able to give this opportunity, something that I, I know when I got started in, in my coaching career, just how excited and how much that meant to me and how much, um, you know, like I was, how eager I was to learn. And then at the same time, so amazed at how eager the people that were teaching me were to give me that information. Right. I mean, you mentioned mentors who like, who are some of your early mentors or what, do you have a story from one of these as a young coach where it was really impactful to you? Well, from the, from the coaching clinic side of things, you know, I, I can go back all the way to my first couple of years, um, you know, just getting into it, doing some of the USA hockey clinics. Uh, you know, at the time it would have been, I started coaching in Massachusetts and, um, you know, it's funny. I got a, one of the guys I remember here, hearing him speak, he is a, a professor named Adam Naylor, who's, you know, he's not a coach, but he's very involved in the hockey world. And, uh, you know, I, I it, must, it was probably one of my first couple of years um, just going into, you know, just doing anything I could. I'd work any clinic I could. I'd be on the ice anytime yeah. I could. I'd read any book or anything I could possibly do to, to be in the game and, and be finding a way to get better. And the USA Hockey Clinics, I mean, I remember I used to go to them and I remember one of them. I volunteered to be the to work it just so I could go listen. And I remember Adam Naylor, <laughs> who he uh, you know he's he used to be a professor, sports psychology professor at BU, and now he has a, his business and he works with uh, you know a lot of different sports teams, um, you know both college, collegiate at Northeastern Hockey and, and pro. And you know, he's one of my you know really close friends now. You know, <laughs> we hmm. met at one of those clinics, and, and I think it might have been one of the ones that I went to just volunteered to work just so I could be there and listen. Um, and that was really early on in my coaching career. But now you got somebody who's, you know, he's in a different way from the mental side, really influenced my thought process on how I work with these athletes. And that goes back to that, you know, one of those early clinics, um, you know, and then just seeing like for in terms of mentors, like I've had so many, I've had so many great people that have helped out. But, you know, when I got to Yale University, I got to work for Keith Elaine for six years and like, you know, I think that probably drove even more for me some of this, that learning process, because um, he's a guy who, you know, he's an assistant coach with the Washington Capitals. He's coaching the Olympics. He coached assistant coach on the 96 U.S. World Cup team. Like he's done he did so much at so many levels and just such an unbelievable coach in person. And, you know, seeing how much he was constantly looking to learn, too. Like it never stopped. Like he was always reading. He was always, you know, watching. He was always finding new ways to educate himself and so, you know, I think I think that sure that influenced me even more so to, to make sure that you're always finding a way to get better and listen to other people and, and find new ideas and then see if you like those new ideas. It doesn't mean you're always going to like them, but all information is good information. It's just a matter of uh, how you filter it to make it work for you. So Adam Naylor is an interesting one because, I, you know, I, I've gone to some of these clinics and you sit in just I, just so I understand the game better and from a coach's perspective. And there is a lot of X's and O's. It's a lot of systems talks. But he's, a, he, you know, he, with him, we're talking sports psychology. Like what is a concept you picked up from him or, or what's like an area of focus when you talk to, to him about sports psychology and, and how you kind of then use that as a coach? You gonna, well, this is going to take more than uh, the time we have allotted for me to go through that. I know we're I up actually, against I, it, but funny, yeah. I talked to Adam like I probably talk. I talked to him at least once a month. I'd say, yeah. Um, I mean, he, he, we've become really close friends, and because that side of the game, I feel like, is as a whole, 
I think we're probably still a little bit underdeveloped in. Um, For sure. As a whole, as a sport, you know, you look at other sports, and, that, and that's my belief. You know, other people would disagree with me, but I think that's I think that might be one of the next areas of our game that I think we could make some headway in, um, as a whole, as a sport. Uh, so I, I talk to Adam all the time because you know he's just I, I think he's he's great at what he does and he's great at the way he he takes the message and he's able to articulate it um, to not just players but also to coaches like myself so that we can in turn use that information for, for the players um, you know so it, it's I think every time there's something on the mental side that I have a question on I'm probably calling him and we're probably setting you know two hours aside and it's to the point that you know like my wife has never met him before but she knows who he is because it's always like all right I gotta go I got a couple hour call here with Adam and so <laughs> and his wife's the same way uh, you know we've been talking for years yeah I, one area, one thing he gave me, which I think I, I always thought was was a really good one, though, was he he recommended this book, Mindset. Um, this was going mm-hmm. back to when I was coaching at Yale University. Um, you know, in Mindset, it's a whole growth mindset, and now it's almost become like a cliche, and it's just a term that gets thrown out there a lot. But um, that was one we've talked a lot about that, that, you know, just that growth mindset compared to fixed mindset. And I think that's a, it's a pretty simple somewhat simple concept which is you know really you know players can buy into it and can apply it to their daily their daily process it can be a really powerful thing for them and that's something that i've really believed in since he kind of introduced me to, to some of that information yeah that's that's great all right uh last question because i think you'll have a good answer for this based on, on the last one um because i think life i love talking to lifelong learners i think and that's often a topic in this podcast um What's what book are you reading right now, or what's been an impactful book from the last year, or maybe even during this pause? In the last year, yeah. I mean, there's been there's obviously been uh, been a lot. One that I really like. This wasn't like the sports psychology or um, you know, kind of in that area, but it just yeah. We're opening the floor. More just kind of interesting, I think, because um, I haven't really dived into it much was the uh alex ferguson sir alex ferguson i guess he, he wrote a book called leading which i read during the uh during part of the pandemic and just you know hearing about from the you know i think he's just an exceptional leader in his life in, in coaching um uh, soccer and football but you know just the way he led and just kind of i feel like he, he seemed like a really innovative coach at the time and so as somebody mm-hmm. where i don't know as much about you know, um, you know, that game as a whole, you know, that was a really good one that I, I got a lot out of. Um, during my most recent pause, I, I started reading, uh, it's called Atomic Habits. Yeah, it's great. I love Atomic Habits. And that was, you know, we did a little, we, we, we were uh, the whole, the whole group here, um, we were on a, uh, a short two-week pause of the season, but we all they actually had a lot of the guys ended up reading books and presenting, and so we wanted the coaching staff to do the same thing. And um, so Atomic Habits, I, I thought it was going to actually it was it was really good. It had some you know in terms of some some of the stuff that was in there might have been a little bit different than I initially thought it was going to be, but um, it's another one like it, it takes the stuff that like you know it seemed when you hear it it's like yeah that makes so much sense it's so obvious um, but the way those authors are able to kind of you know you know clearly articulate those messages and then make it where 
you know, I think you're able to take a little bit here or there and, and then apply it to your life. Um, you know, it, it was really good. And, you know, we actually had the, I was impressed with my group. We, we did it during the pause. I asked them to either watch a, uh, read a book, listen to an audio book, watch a documentary, um, or listen to a podcast. And I probably had, it was probably close to half actually read books. I was really, really I was shocked. I thought they'd all take time. And uh, this uh, this is the players or your coaching staff? The players. The players. Oh, good for them. That's really encouraging to me. I talked to the uh, that was the one that I picked there for that kind of our little our, our pandemic project that we had going That's awesome. in our pause. So just for listeners, the the book that book that Dan's referencing is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And if you're and I'm not a big like sign up for email thing because we all get bombarded with emails already but the author james clear if you go to his website jamesclear.com has a great newsletter that just has like habit tips it's it's like it's legit like i open it every every time i get it when i see it so that's really good dan thanks for doing this this is an awesome chat yeah no i appreciate really appreciate you having me on all right that was great let's take a quick break um and here a message i'm so happy to have them as a sponsor our friends at indochino Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm joined now by Jeff Blashill, Detroit Red Wings coach. Um, so, Jeff, are you at the point yet where you actually miss us asking you questions in that room at Little Caesars yet? Are you are you there yet? Well, Craig, I never thought I'd say that, but uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I was probably actually at that point a long time ago, to be dead honest with you. You know, like uh, uh, it's funny. Actually, I, I think you know. I I I respect uh, a tremendous amount the job that the media does, and and. Um, we, you know, we have fun with each other, but, it, you know, I, I do like the interaction. And, and certainly now uh, I would pretty much do anything to be able to, to be sitting in that room together. And uh, even if it means getting grilled on, on hard questions. So, yeah, I am at that point for sure. So, uh, like, I have no sense. How are you? Are you just watching a bunch of, like, Swedish prospect games or, you know, more cider clips like Red Wings fans? Or how, like, wh- what are you doing to try to stay busy? It's been a really interesting, you know, uh, I guess whatever nine, eight yeah, months right. now, and and you know the the, the not the hard part. Uh, recently, where it's been a little bit, um, you know, more difficult. And this happened a little bit in the in the in May uh, into into early June. You, you don't really know whether or not, you know, at that time we didn't know whether or not we were going back and going to be part of uh, the return to play, and so. You know, you're kind of in limbo. You're kind of constantly preparing for what might be. Um, and I would say there's some of that right now. Um, you know, not, you know, we, we believe we're going to play, but we don't know when. And, and you know, at one point, 
there was a thought of maybe December 1st. And so, you know, and then with that might have been three weeks of camp for a team like us. And so you're getting ready for the early part of November and you kind of you get prepared for that. And then you realize it's not going to happen. And then now we've been kind of, you know, had penciled it in our head a little bit of December 7th or 8th uh, with the hopes of, of that extra week. And and then that kind of felt like that wasn't going to happen. And then you're, you move on to the 15th. So you just constantly feel like you're you're preparing for for the next uh, look at it. And and then you start to get a feel for what camp will be. And, um, you know, is it going to be two weeks? It doesn't appear like it would be three now. Um, and so you're, you're, you're kind of making changes in, in your drills and in, in those types of things. Um, you know, and at the same time, watching our guys that are playing overseas, um, continuing to, to, to look at those guys uh, that, that are, that are, you know, Phil Heronics and, uh, you know, Maritz and, and, and Joe Valeno are, are going to be with their uh, prospective teams till they finish. So, so those guys wouldn't necessarily uh, come to our, uh, have an opportunity to play for us right away, but uh, just watching all those guys and, you know, some, also some, some different projects that, that are kind of a continuation of what we started through the summer. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it's been crazy. And, and especially the way for the teams that haven't played, I mean, you guys, you're right. It kept getting pushed back and there was some December talk or whatever. Um, how much are you in communication with players? Like we had Bobby Ryan on and I got to like, I'm so, I'm can't wait to go into a dressing room and catch up with him because he's such a, a great guy. It seems like the, the players you added personality wise, you've got some personality added to the dressing room. It's, it's, it's going to be a good mix. How much are you communicating with these players right now? Well, I'd say, you know, I've been cautious to not over mm-hmm. uh, communicate, but but yet uh, keep engaged. And that that's what I've tried to do both, you know, from from my standpoint, from our from our assistant coach's standpoint. You know, I think the closer we get to a timeline that the or to an, a certainty with a date, the, the, the more you can really start to ramp up the uh, engagement that would be more meaningful um but in the meantime you know it's been conversations of checking in how's everything going how's your family how's the training going and 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 you know those are conversations that we've tried to spread out enough between the different uh, groups of coaches um so it's been uh you know right now our rink is open um and, and so our you know guys have been around i i uh, I'm not on the ice or anything like that, uh, as we're not allowed. But but at least you know you're you're able to pop and see a guy here and there and be able to have some conversation. So um, you know it's 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 minimal now. Uh, I'm trying to keep you guys engaged is is uh, probably the number one priority. And and hopefully you know our guys are in the same boat as what I said as coaches. I mean you know they've had different start dates and trying to plan their lifting programs and trying to plan their on ice readiness and. Uh, uh, I can tell you our guys are ready to go. So, you know, all of us here in Detroit, uh, probably similar to the other uh, six teams that weren't part of the return to play, are eager to get going. I'm curious, as, as you know, you're, you're kind of mentioning the players and their routines. I think this is going to mess with the goalies the most. And you're a former goalie. And routine and, and kind of ramping up and being ready is is so much a part of that. How, I mean, would you agree with that? Like, do you, do you think that's a potential issue this year? Well, I would say um, a couple things. I would probably say just that that you know hit the top of my head. Yeah. One is is uh, for sure with goaltenders. I think routine builds consistency, and consistency at that position is is paramount. At, at every position is, but obviously at that position. And so you know when your routines are disrupted, it gets harder. Um, it, it also gets harder to, to replicate 
you know, one of the most difficult things in goaltending is is the traffic that you face at the National Hockey League level. And and you can't – it's really difficult to replicate because guys don't want to do drills where they're battling necessarily in front and taking shots off their feet and stuff like that right now. So they're not going to put those types of drills in place. And um, even if you're playing goalie in Europe right now, those 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 aren't the same the, – the traffic in Europe is not the same as it is in, in the North American venue – or North American-sized rink. So, you know, it, it, it'll be difficult for – for goalies certainly to uh, have the same level of readiness, especially uh, someone like Jonathan Bernier, who hasn't you know, been part of a real game since uh, uh, last March, you know, and, and that's a long, long time. So that part will be hard. I know, uh, you know, him in particular, he's been hard, hard at it. He's, he's been on the ice a lot. He's done, he's doing everything he can, but certainly there, there, it'll present some, some, some challenges. And I would say traffic would be one of those and routine would be the other. The, the other thing I would say is, um, you know, I think you're probably seeing this across sports that are playing right now. There's just a lot of disruptions. And, um, and, and so it's really, really difficult, I think, to judge and predict from one week to the next, from from one game to the next, and I guess I would say this with football right now, with both college and in the NFL, how teams are going to perform, and it just it, it looks a little bit like a constant uh, preseason games where you never know what you're going to get. So there's going to be some of those unknowns that, that goes with this. But with all that said, Craig, I think uh, you know any one of us would uh, take any of those challenges right. uh, all day long yeah. just to get back to playing. Uh, we were just we were talking between interviews about uh john cooper was on another one of our podcasts and i was telling jeff our producer some stories about coop has he uh has he been un- insufferable since winning the cup have, i haven't talked to him has he been okay um you know borderline borderline <laughs> between him and, and derek Lalonde, oh my gosh uh, one of his assistants um you know they, they've been borderline insufferable I, I i was lucky enough to receive a, a picture a day with uh with them with the cup uh for about a month straight until i just stopped replying oh, i think they got bored so um no but great for them you know like uh uh, both of those guys are two really, really good friends of mine, and and you know we we've gone back a long, long, long time and had tons of great experiences together. And and um, you know I, I was uh, I was excited, I was super excited for them when when they won it. Uh, just on a personal level, uh, Brian Garlock, uh, one of their video coaches, is is somebody who's a friend of mine as well. Um, you know, goes back to Big Rapids, Michigan, where I went to school at Ferris. And, and so, you know, just on a personal level, I was really, really, really excited. I knew what was coming. Um, but I guess, uh, I guess, uh, you know, with the Stanley Cup, you got to give them their credit. And I'll take I'll take my medicine. Right now. <laughs> it's it's you know, it, that's that's a perfect setup for, you know, why we wanted to have you on here. Because we we're talking to Lindsay about the, the connection coaches have. And and um, I, I'm going to start here because. I mean, you know, like the the key in the in that in the coaching fraternity or is networking. It's getting to know people. It leads to jobs, right? Like you know, if if you have an opening, you're gonna you're gonna probably reach out to a few guys you knew back in the day from the USHL or whatever. There's that, that's just natural. That's how every industry works. And and I, you know, we were talking with Lindsay about what the association's doing to to reach out right and to make those connections and and she even mentioned you, you know you you've got you haven't done it yet so uh, it's it's maybe even premature to talk about but you know re- having mentors conversations with women's hockey and and the opportunities that that might provide what, you know what I, I know what how it helps them but i on some level i imagine this is going to help you kind of broaden your your rolodex too and and who you're coming in contact with 
Oh, for certain. And certainly, you know, just speaking to, to next week's call with the, uh, with the female coaches, um, you know, it's a, it, it, I, I've become a little bit familiar um, with women's hockey uh, in a sense that my, my daughter has played and continues to play. And, and so I think when, when you get a little bit more ingratiated into it, uh, you're just uh, more aware of what's going on in the, in the sport as a whole. And, and so you know, I understand the, the number of really talented people, um, really talented female coaches that are out there at all different levels. And you got to remember, like, you know, John Cooper was a was a was a youth coach, really, you know, and, and going back a long time ago. So it's not like, you know, he's ascended from uh, the junior B level, the midget AAA level. I think really the start was the high school level all the way to, uh, you know, Stanley Cup winner in the NHL. So what's to say that any of these female coaches, no matter where they're uh, coaching right now, uh, that, that one of those female coaches that I come in contact with isn't going to ascend to a similar level. Nothing's, uh, you know, there's, there's less ceilings than there has been before um, in, in terms of uh, limiting factors for opportunity for all different types of people. And so, you know, I think when you have, when you have the opportunity to, to interact with, uh, with coaches, and honestly, I've always thought this, whether it's my kids, youth coaches, male or female, it really didn't matter. There's lots that, that you personally as a coach can learn. I, I've learned tons from, um, you know, being around my kids hockey and just seeing different situations, both good and bad, you know, and in both sometimes I think, you know, Mike Babcock used to say this to me, you know, you get a chance to kind of uh, to, to evaluate how your kids are being treated at that point. And, and, and does that affect how you then treat other people's kids? Every, every player, coach is somebody's son. So, um, you know, but, but just getting back to the connection that uh, the coaches association, um, you know, facilitates, I think is a, is a great thing because, the, you know, I hope certainly in that call next week that, in the conversations that we have that that somebody can learn uh, a little something from me but i also think that the reverse is absolutely true and if that leads to then a connection uh, down the road and as you said you know when you when you get into hiring generally you hire somebody you know or somebody that knows somebody you know i mean it doesn't generally go too far off that path you know and and, and so uh, the the more people you get to know um, both from a, a getting hired aspect and from hiring aspect uh, the bigger depth of pool you have and i think that's that's really important so you know i think it's i think it's great and and, and the opportunities aren't uh, there's still barriers and they're not limitless um, you know, but I have said this lots, and I and I really do believe this to to a large. I've said this to players lots. The NHL wants the best, and they don't really care where you. And this is the message I've given to players: they don't really care where you've been drafted. They don't really care what you look like. They they just want the best, and and that's what you know. When you get to the top of the pyramid, that's generally what competition leads to: is the best getting to the top. And and that's the same in coaching and management. And and I think as we're starting to see. If that means that you're a, a, a great, you know, the best uh, and you happen to be a male, great. And if you're the best, you happen to be a female, great. Um, at, at the end of the day, that's what competition will lead to over time for certain. Yeah. Um, it's, it's you know, I've noticed like you seem really active in this space, right? The, the, the teaching, the conferences. And it, what's the motivation behind that? Like what is it just your kind of personality or what is your? Well, I think I think first. Um, you know, I've, I've just had, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask if, if I can uh, talk in different scenarios or, or, or help with uh, different situations or speak to their teams or speak to their groups. And, and, and 
who, you know, I just think it's, it's something that is the absolute right thing to do. And, and I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy uh, giving the opportunity uh, for people to potentially gather some uh, information from my perspective. And, and, you know, and I start most of these calls with, I'm not smarter than anybody on the call. Um, but what I have done is had a lot of uh, unique experiences and what you gain through experiences is perspective. And, and so, you know, I try to give them my opinions on a number of things through the perspective that I've gained of coaching at a lot of different levels and some great, great players and all the lessons that you learn from that. So, um, you know, being active in the space, I don't, I, I have a really hard time with, uh, you know, I can I can either totally relax, meaning you know you're just sitting and and enjoying friends and and maybe out to dinner or maybe um, you know on a vacation and and I and I work and I don't have a great uh, ability to do to do the in between and and you know I feel a lot of times like I'm wasting time when I'm doing that. So you know it's 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 allowed me to uh, grow. Uh, it's allowed me to to, to keep busy but I also think just allowed me to, to and I don't want to say give back because that's not it at all it's allowed me to have a give and take with uh, with with different people and again with the hope that they can gather or learn something from me and vice versa and I think the more interactions you have in those situations uh, the better chance you get to grow yourself so when you were a young coach do you remember the first kind of either NHL or somebody at a higher level reaching out or mentoring like was there somebody that made that impact for you that's a that's a good question, and and I'm trying to you know as you're asking the question, yeah. I'm trying to think. Back Do you want me to extend it out? I can I can be a lot more wordy if you want, if it helps. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it takes me a long time to get my thoughts together. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll, this is what I would say. Yeah, is when I started in coaching, you know, I didn't know. Uh, I, I didn't start and say I'm going to be an NHL coach in ten years. I never said that early in my. Co- I just wanted to coach and, and thought it would be a pretty. Thought it. I just thought it would be an exciting job and a fun job, and it proved to be that. And I was a I was a young young college coach, and the mentors at that time uh, were college coaches. You know, it was the Ron Masons and the Red Berensons. And the one thing about college, probably as good as any level, and, and I would say better than most levels, is college did an unbelievable job of putting coaches into. Uh, rooms together and and having great interaction and I think those uh, senior coaches at that time the Rick Comleys the uh, Ron Masons the Red Berensons the Jeff Jacksons the 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 Bob Dams they all did an unreal job of of being welcoming and and having conversations and they weren't above talking to assistants and you know certainly the college coaching convention in Florida was a big piece of that and and it was a really relaxed atmosphere so that was you know really the the, the, the kind of the mentorship and it would be similar to what the coaches association is doing now. You know, we had, um, we had a, a convention where, you know, we, we were able to at times present in front of these coaches drills. So we got to kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, sell ourselves and show what we're about. And, and you got to learn from them. And it was real similar to what the coaches association is doing now, but on a, on a level at the, at the collegiate level. And then I would say, as I went to uh, Miami as an assistant coach was the first time I started thinking, to myself, I'd like a, I'd like to try to reach the highest level of coaching, and that's the National Hockey League. And um, you know, Brian Burke is um, um, someone that uh, I got to know. Uh, his 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 son uh, Brendan uh, was was an assistant, um, you know, with us, uh, you, know, you know, a student assistant type role. And 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 he unfortunately has since passed in a real tragic uh, accident. But Brian was somebody probably the first like 
big, big name NHL person that I was around. And, and um, Brian's a, a great human being. Um, he cares about uh, uh, others and he cares about, uh, you know, I think the mentorship, it wasn't that he was my mentor at the time. You know, I wouldn't have had lots of interaction with him at first, but it led to then further interaction as, as we, uh, as, as, uh, as my career kept going into Indy and I contacted him when I was there and things like that. But um, um, so, you know, that would have been the first kind of way, but really I think, you know, the model that the coaches association has taken uh, is real similar to what uh, the college coaches have been doing for a long time. And that was a, a really great experience as a young coach. How did you get your first job with the USHL? Cause it seemed to happen fast, right? You're an assistant at Miami and then you have this five year window of time where, like your career skyrocketed. How did you get that first head job? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I was four years as an assistant at Ferris and and, and had gone there to, uh, as a player. And so I'd spent actually eight years in total. And, and I went to Miami and spent six awesome years there. Uh, Rico Blasi was the head coach. Chris Bergeron was the assistant. We were all young. Um, we challenged each other. Um, we I think we all grew a lot. Um, the program grew. And so that was 10 years as an assistant. And I would say years eight, nine, and 10 um, as an assistant, I, I really felt the want to be a head coach. And I was able to had work some, uh, had been a head coach for uh, Team Michigan when the U United States uh, hockey festivals were, um, you know, you brought your region and that's actually where I met Coop. And so I had been a head coach. And uh, so then when I was at Miami, I really wanted to, to, to be a head coach by the end. And college jobs were really hard to come by and they still are to some degree. And, and there wasn't a lot of movement in college hockey at the time. And so I had thought about the U.S. USHL. And, you know, I actually said no to the Indiana job uh, multiple times, to be honest with you. I said no, I think three or four times. And Jim Palafito, who uh, now is for the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs, yeah. uh, is a great, great scout, was the head scout in, in India. And he's the guy I had the, the personal relationship with. I did not yet really know Paul Scott, the owner. And, and so um, Jim was kind of working me to, to, we had developed a relationship. He really wanted me to, to take the job. And, and, and I said no a couple times. And I actually called back to say yes. Hmm. And Paul Scott, the owner, said too late. Oh. Uh, we've, given it, we've given it to somebody else. And, and so then I had that sinking feeling of, man, I just missed an unreal opportunity. And about uh, 13, 14 hours later, I got a call back from Paul. Uh, the person who had taken the job uh, didn't like the look of the contract and walked out and, and walked away. And he said, Blash, it's your job, but I got to know in two hours. I want to know. Yeah. And and so I called Rico Blase, said I'm going to take the job and took the job. I woke up the next morning, was the USHL draft. And I woke <laughs> up the next morning and my kids were three and one. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't think any junior contract is ironclad. And this one certainly wasn't ironclad. So I woke up the next morning at 6 a.m. to drive to uh, Indy for the draft. And I was dry heaving in the shower. I got out. I was sweating, going, what did I just do? You know, like I left a super comfortable situation as an assistant coach. And it was a, it was a, a risky move. But, but in the end, the best move. And, and uh, the relationship I developed with Paul Scott uh, and his brother Charlie were, was outstanding. Jim Palafito was outstanding. And it really was the best decision I ever made as a coach. And, that I, and it did then start to become a whirlwind. I was two years in Indy. Um, at that time, then I was really starting to look, how can I get into pro hockey and the Western Michigan job opened and, and I really thought Western Michigan was a special place. And so I applied for that job and was able to get it. And I went to Western Michigan, Craig, and I thought I was going to be there 10 years. 
And uh, we, we, we put a whole bunch of uh, improvement in, into our house. We had a young family at this time, now three kids. And, and that, that 10 years turned into one. And, you know, I got a call from Mike Babcock really out of nowhere. I didn't know Mike at all. And, 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 but he knew someone I knew, what you spoke of earlier. And, and he brought me over for an interview and then it was a whirlwind. Then it was a year in Detroit, three years in Grand Rapids, and then back in Detroit. So, but that indie job and that decision was the turning point in my career. And, you know, as I say here and today and just talked to you, and, I, and I've thought about this lots, but it's a, it's a huge reminder what support I've had for my wife because, you know, those aren't easy. And it's in, in, in when it's the, you know, people think about your kids when you're making lots of moves. And I think as our kids are the age they are now, it is true. But when they're young, they can move. But, but you know, my wife has had to move so many times. And, and when you move, uh, you know, constantly as, as a, you know, I'm into a situation where I have instant friends with the coaches and, and the staff and that. Well, she's constantly had to, you know, build friendships uh, uh, on a consistent basis. And it's been a, it's it's never easy. So really, you know, it's a it's that move was a was a critical move in my coaching career. And, and I'd have no chance of being here without the support of my wife. Yeah. Um. So, you know, one year at Western, and again, that's a great job. I mean, that's the, the it's a great university. How, so Mike Babcock connects with you. What was, um, what was that interview like process like for you? It was interesting, you know, and, and uh, uh, again, you know, he called me and, and actually, you know, if I'm being super honest, um, my one-year-old, it was after our season. Um, my, my one-year-old was up all night the night before. He called at like he called at like seven thirty ish, um, which is you know not super early for a coaching world. But but at that time, You've probably been up for two night, hours. I was in bed, and, and so I get a two four eight number. I'm like, what is this? And I just kind of put it back down and and <laughs> try to go back to sleep. And then I listen to the voicemail. I'm like, oh wow, this is you know totally you know unexpected. And, and I was actually headed over to uh, I was supposed to coach the Ivan Holinka team that summer for USA mm. Hockey. So I was heading over to Ann Arbor to, to look at some video and do some stuff. And I said, hey, you know, Mike, I'm heading over. Um, you know, he said, well, just come by, come by the house. So that was the first kind of contact. And I went in, I went to his house and, uh, and met his wife, Maureen, and, and had an interview with Mike for a while. And, and I left that, that interview, uh, Craig, and I said to my wife on the way home, I said, like, that actually went really well. And, you know, I might have a shot at this job. And I interviewed again with him at the draft and, did some other kind of phone interviews with him after that and, and really started to get the feeling like, uh, I, like I was going to have an opportunity to get the job. Now, in the meantime, um, you know, when I originally uh, went to uh, Western, I had signed a contract and after my first year, they actually tore the contract up and they, they gave me a new contract and uh, for, for quite a significant pay bump. And I had spoken to Kathy Beauregard, the head, uh, sorry, the, um, uh, the athletic director uh, at Western Michigan, who's a, who's a wonderful, wonderful human being. And, and, you know, I told Kathy what my end goal was that I want to coach in the national hockey league. So she had given me an out. She had given me an out for national hockey league head coach or American hockey league head coach. And right before I signed, I said, Kathy, like the realistic step probably at that time, especially wasn't a national hockey league. Head That's coach. right. Right. You know, and I said, I, I'd like to include national hockey league assistant. She put it in. And and um, the ink wasn't dry when Mike Babcock called, you know, and and, and they 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 could have Kathy could have made it way harder for me, yeah. um, you know. And I don't know what would have happened. And she was awesome. She was incredible. 
Um, yeah, she, she, you know, she, she let me uh, interview and ultimately let me uh, take the job without any, uh, with really just encouragement. And I, I'll always uh, have a great respect for Kathy because of that. Um, Mike is, Mike Babcock is not easy. I don't think to work for, um, I mean, he's, he drives his assistant coaches. Uh, how did you find that year as an assistant with Mike? Well, it was a hard year, um, but but a lot of that had more, uh, you know, it's just a hard adjustment for me yeah. personally. I've never spent a second in pro hockey. So, you know, I, I think it had as much to do with that. You know, Mike Mike is, uh, yeah, Mike's Mike's not, uh, I don't think anybody would say that Mike's an easy coach to work for, um, or, or for that matter, you know, easy to play for. But that doesn't mean that it's not, doesn't really help you and make you no, better. Right. Mike does both those things, um, um, you know, but, but yeah, the year was hard. It was a transition. And you know, I went from being, uh, you know, having really, really good success at the collegiate level and having a huge, ultimately, I love doing a, a good job. That's what drives me more than anything else. I love winning, but I, I know when I've done a good job and when I haven't. And, and it, it, it you, I, you know, that intrinsic feeling when you do a really good job and what's a really good job for me, it's when I know I've helped our team get better. I know I've helped individuals get better. I know that they're taking steps in the right direction. And, and, you know, that year, um, I don't think enough times I felt that, that I was really helping our, our group improve. And, and, and maybe at times I was too hard on myself, but that's what I felt. And so, you know, that made it a hard year and just adjusting to the schedule. And I, you know, I thought, I'd spent a lot of time in my life traveling. I mean, I recruited my whole time as a college assistant. Uh, I was used to being on the road. There is nothing like the NHL schedule. There really isn't. And, and, and that's true of in comparison to the American League. Um, there is no other schedule that's like the NHL, and it's it's extraordinarily relentless. Um, you know, we, we, we get up early and get to work and, and, uh, and, and Mike was a real early, uh, person. And so, um, you know, I was yelling at my kids to, to be quiet so I could go to bed at nine o'clock and, and it was just, a, it, was a, it was hard that way for sure. Um, you know, I thought as the second half of the year, uh, continued on, I thought I got better at my job. I thought I was, uh, having a more positive impact by the end of the year. I felt good about it. And I was excited about, uh, about trying to, to become the, the best assistant I could be. Um, I was excited to continue in that spot. Yeah. And then you get the opportunity in Grand Rapids that goes well. Was that a no brainer for you? Like wanting to be a head coach at that point? Well, you know, again, my, my, ultimately I wanted to be a head coach in the national hockey league. And I just knew, that if I wasn't a head coach in pro, it was going to be hard or certainly a really long time before I was given that opportunity. And, and honestly, I wouldn't want it without having head coaching experience in pro, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and really at that time, I'd only been a head coach three years. So it wasn't like I had this, you know, 15 year head coaching experience. I'd been a head coach three years. So when the job opened up and Kenny asked me if I was interested, um, you know, I talked to two people. Uh, one was John Cooper and, and Coop felt like a, take it for sure you got a way better chance to uh, kind of you know make a name for yourself as as the head coach and and I talked to Mike Babcock and he had actually been fishing and so I had a hard time getting a hold of him but when I got a hold of him you know Mike Mike kind of gave me the 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 pluses and minuses of both and you know this is the plus of staying and this is the you know and and then I just said to him Mike if I was your buddy you know not if I didn't work for I was just your buddy what would you tell me he said I'd take the job I'd take the Grand Rapids job and so you know I took it and uh and again it ended up being a great decision it was a, a awesome three years of my life so to wrap up I mean you, you 
you say you're, you're driven by by not necessarily wins and losses. And and I've sat through enough of your press conferences. You know, the word process has come up a lot. You know, over the last couple of years, how, like when you go through a year like you just did, how do you measure those successes? Because it's it's you're just in a different place as an organization. Correct. Didn't, didn't the press crew, didn't you guys used to have a drinking game with how much I'd say? That's process? right. That's right. If you said process, yeah. then I had to sneak out of the room, do a shot, and come back in. <laughs> um, it's, like that, it's like that Roxanne drinking game. Um, <laughs> not that I ever did that in college. So anyways, uh, you know, w- that is definitely what drives me. And, and whether it's, you know, and I use the word process, but that to me is the reality. I do think great results follow great process. Now, Every pro sports franchise is going to go through cyclical uh, di- differentiations in time, and 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 certainly we were on a high cycle here for a long, long time. And but I also think that the reality is when you're on that cycle for a long time, um, you know, it, it's hard to keep your 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 player pool to the level that that you have to. And, and there's just going to be cycles, you know. And and so you know, I knew when I took the job that there was. At some point, uh, a chance that that it would be a, a down cycle, and 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 it's been that. And we haven't, uh, we you know, we've had lots of losses over the last number of years, and and so how do I evaluate myself? I still look. I I think I'm a realist more than I'm not a I'm not a pessimist, and I'm not an optimist. I think I'm a realist, and I know uh, sometimes maybe too well when I've done a good job and when I haven't, regardless of what anybody else thinks. And and I'm a hard critic that way. Um, on myself, but I know when I've when I've you know when I've walked off the ice in practice and our team's gotten better, or our players have gotten better, and when I've walked off the ice in a game, and I know it, and and that that again is what drives me more than anything else. And and do I love winning, man? I I love winning. No, everybody loves the feeling of, of winning, and and everybody hates the feeling of losing. And and I'm no different. You're not in these competitive situations if you don't think that. But what I really really love is knowing that I had a positive impact on a person growing or on a team growing. And, and, and so it's just a constant search uh, to, to, to uh, e- evaluate that. And, and again, you know, I said it uh, a lot last year, like, you know, we, you know, our daily approach was just trying to get better. And, and we want, you know, ultimately in Detroit, we need to get better long-term. Uh, we got to make sure we're not looking for any short-term solutions that are going to hurt us long-term as a hockey team. So I can't look the other way and let guys develop bad habits to try to win on Tuesday night. I got to make sure they're developing the right habits. And if that costs us a couple of games uh, in the short term, so be it. We want to win long-term here. And and I recognize that. And, and I owe it to our players. You know, I owe it to our players to make sure that that I'm doing everything I can to help them be, be the very best players they can be and have the longest career possible and the most successful they can. And to do that, uh, you, you have to do it right. So I just constantly uh, try to be solution based from a long term aspect. Um, you know, we come in here on a daily basis. I, I said this lots last year, especially a year like last year, like frustration is a total waste of human emotion. And that doesn't mean that we weren't guilty of frustration at times, but we tried to wash it away whenever we recognized it and focus back on how we're going to get better. And that's what we'll continue to do here. Yeah, it was interesting when Bobby to have Bobby talk about reaching out to Dylan Larkin just to make sure like the atmosphere wasn't so sour in Detroit coming out, you know. And he's and Dylan was like, no, like we're we're eager to get back at it. We're you know, it's still a good situation. Uh, you know, that's that's just to say that coming off the year that you guys had, I think is, is was really interesting to me. It, it, you know, and I, I would give our guys a ton of credit. Like it was it was a super hard year. And, yeah. and it's, everybody knows that. And but it did never it never really got toxic, you know, mm. and, and we had moments of, of again, there was moments of frustration. But I think 
our guys did a really good job of trying to be solution based on learning from yesterday, but then washing it in in an attacking today. And that all sounds like you know neat little words or whatever. <laughs> right, That's right, right. the reality of what we did. And yeah. you had to wash it and you had to, to move on. And I think our guys did a really good job of trying to work towards a better tomorrow. And, in you know, Dylan's one of those big pieces of why. Like Dylan, no, you know, he, he's super competitive. I think it's his best attribute. People talk his speed. That, he, his best attribute for me is his competitiveness. But, you know, again, he wants – a better tomorrow and he knows the only way to do that is to keep working in the right direction i think our guys did a really good job of not letting this get toxic and and bobby asked me the same question and he told me he called dylan and and i told him you know bobby like like i can tell you with great confidence that that this room is is eager to to do everything possible so that it's a better tomorrow and that doesn't mean that you know that this year is light years better it's not i have no idea what this coming year is going to bring you you never really know that i just know that our guys are totally focused on making sure that the trite red wings are going to have a better tomorrow awesome well jeff thanks for doing this it was great to catch up yeah you too you too hopefully we can see you soon here in uh in some fashion at lca i'm thinking february at, at best but yeah. we'll see maybe yeah. i'm a pessimist well, but. I I, uh, I don't I don't even sure guess anymore. So. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this. No problem, man. No problem. Talk to you soon. I want to thank Lindsay Arkin, president of the NHL Coaches Association. You should check out what what they're doing over there. She puts a lot of work into their forward facing. I mean, there's stuff, so much stuff behind the scenes. Like she mentioned, uh, you know, they got to deal with pensions and contracts and all that stuff. But they also do a lot of education and sharing, and it's, it's, it's great. The, their website is NHLcoaches.com. Also, thank you to Dan Muse and Jeff Blashill for sharing some of their story, some of their theories. Um, I always love talking to coaches. Um, it, it was great. So thanks to everybody who joined the show. Quick plug, as always, for my friends Scott and Pierre at Two Man Advantage. Check out their podcast this week. And also, if you have a second to leave a review at Apple Pods, it helps me out tremendously. So if you have a second and you enjoyed this, you enjoyed this format, I'd love to hear that. Either leave a comment on our app at The Athletic or a review at Apple Pods. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Dan and Jeff and Lindsay, and thank you for listening. Have a great week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.